Hello and welcome to episode 50 of the Structure and Interpretation of Computer Programmers podcast, helping programmers to become software engineers. The topic of this episode is organization and community, and it's motivated by uh, reading a chapter of a book from uh, my doctorate reading. Uh, The book is called Between Craft and Science, Technical Work in the United States edited by Stephen R. Barley, and the first chapter in his book is Technical Work in the Division of Labour, Stalking the Wiley Anomaly, by Peter Wally and Stephen Barley. And this chapter talks about the idea that, particularly in uh, the United States, there is a distinction made by the government, you know, in the Bureau of Labour Statistics, uh, by society traditionally in terms of how it um, respects people and their activities and how it sort of summarises groups together, categorises different occupations, um, like d- divides the workforce into what are called white-collar and blue-collar occupations. Uh, but the chapter is about the fact that there are modern technical roles, and when we say modern, we don't mean necessarily 21st century. We pretty much mean post-industrial revolution uh, roles, like engineering and technician, uh, that have tr- upset this traditional distinction uh, between white and blue collar. Not so much that they uh, merge aspects of the two, although that is definitely true, but more that they completely like are orthogonal to this uh, distinction and make it hard to classify jobs within that um within that categorization scheme uh, and uh that has you know difficulties for uh, society because you know if your labor statistics are based on how many people are in white or blue collar jobs and you've got this job that you know could go anywhere then you don't have good statistics about your workforce you don't know how well your um, education and training programs are uh, running you can't like plan for um, resource needs or changes in the workforce that kind of thing but also bad for the practitioners of these occupations because it means that they can't sort of clearly um, explain what it is they do they don't um aren't able to like demonstrate what their uh, benefit is to society at a sort of collective high level and also that there are then confusions over you know how they should uh, develop as professions what how they should um like advance their standards and their practices and that is all relevant to uh, my research and also to the way that I think about software engineering so the sort of traditional idea is that white collar labor is um sort of purely mental work and it would have originally been um advanced uh, skilled or like yeah, uh, highly educated um pure knowledge work that required a lot of uh like training a lot of um specific knowledge and that required 
like or that's uh, implied membership of uh, some sort of society that like controlled and disseminated that knowledge so you know the the very old examples would be uh, literacy you know as um part of like the monastic culture in a sort of feudal societies the you had your um you know your feudal division between your lords and uh like the serfs and the um agricultural workers uh, but then you had this uh sort of separate hierarchy of the church uh which was you know um producing manuscripts um like copying knowledge creating new knowledge uh, and that this was yeah this was pure knowledge work mathematics would be a a, a similar um example law uh, is all about understanding interpreting and applying you know the laws it is sort of pure symbol work um the extent to which you interact with the physical world is that you, you know, write these things down on paper and you read them from paper. Like that is the uh, the extent of the manual work that is involved in these kinds of professions. And then, you know, blue collar would be the the sort of occupational labour, the uh, the physical labour. So, like farm work would definitely be seen. Now, obviously, there's interesting sort of distinctions between a blue-collar worker who's typically like a waged employee and a peasant who may well be a farmer but has very different um, interaction with their employers, different uh, models of like uh, ownership and things. Uh, but this idea that there are uh, physical jobs and that there are mental jobs is the focus of the divide so if we look at those same uh, sort of professional roles there are people who make paper um and you know this has gone from like being sort of probably in-house in, in the monasteries to uh, a craft and then uh, to like an occupation and there you have like these big industrial paper mills and you have people who work in them who uh, you know, uh, mix up the sizings or who uh, you know, filter them out into sheets, or who press the uh, the paper sheets you know, to uh, get most of the water out, put the paper on the drying racks, cut it to size, all that kind of thing. Um, so we have these mental roles, which are white collar, and these physical roles, which are blue collar, and they have traditionally been associated with different forms of organisation within the practitioner communities. So mental roles, white-collar roles, the thought work, have been based on acquiring a body of knowledge, uh, typically through like, advanced degrees of learning. Um, then like, learned societies, which sort of police the profession by having their own codes of conduct. And this is related to the idea that like, we, as the practitioners of this profession, have this specialist knowledge that everybody else relies on for society to work, but that it would be easy for us to abuse because like, they can't easily evaluate our work because they don't have that knowledge. Therefore, we will um, mandate that people use this knowledge in the best interest of society and you know, that we will be exclusive about it. If you are found 
not to do that if you are found putting your own interests above the interests of our like professional body of or you know your own uh, ends above the reputation of this job then you are no longer allowed to practice this job and that's independent of the employers so you know if your company wants you to do something unethical as a lawyer and you choose to do that then you can no longer be a lawyer uh, doctors have had that kind of organization for a very long time the hippocratic oath being the uh, sort of er example of the professional code of conduct if you like um and this has long been used uh, to uh, both like police the profession you know, you can say um like you are not a doctor because you're not acting ethically uh but uh, and also uh to like police the day-to-day -day occupation for practitioners i will not do that because it is not compatible with the professional code of ethics that uh, doctors have uh it is also um you know challenged and this like, challenge does not necessarily play out very quickly for example uh in the united states doctors are often uh, expected to help administer the death penalty in states that have the death penalty uh, but that is not compatible with the Hippocratic Oath of doing no harm. Uh, it is reducing the harm to the people who are being executed, but you are ultimately executing them, that which is you know harmful. So there is a lot of debate over whether people doctors should be struck off for engaging uh, with that practice with the with with supporting the death penalty it's also used to uh to support the members of the profession within that profession so you have the ideas of like best practice or state-of-the-art practice <clears throat> which are effectively policed by the professional society and then ideas of uh, malpractice are <clears throat> bounded by the idea of what practices are acceptable or are um, expected and so if a doctor is accused of malpractice the question is not did they harm the patient the question is did they follow what the society of medical professionals currently believes is the best way to perform the activities that they were performing did they treat the patient with the best care that was available and if they did, then you know, some, somewhat regardless of the outcome, they have done their job professionally and cannot be considered to have uh, malpracticed. So that's the organisation of like what are often considered the professions or the learned professions, uh, the thought workers, the white-collar roles. The manual roles, the sort of blue-collar roles, are typically historically based on craft style learning so you um you have some like technical skills and you have some uh competencies and you have some uh knowledge that needs to be uh communicated to the practitioners but this is done through uh, a mastery apprenticeship 
um, practice where the people who are learning how to do it are like learning from the people who are already doing it and are effectively like you know, copying them, understanding their techniques, um, l- receiving both explicit and tacit knowledge about uh, what works. Um, and there's a really good uh, film about this sort of crafts style approach to skills acquisition. It's not about that at all, um, but it is about that. Uh, it's called Jiro Dreams of Sushi. And it is about a uh, a family of uh, sushi chefs in um, in Tokyo, and there is an apprentice who is uh, sort of probably approaching middle age in the film, uh, who is basically allowed to make the egg rolls, and that is like the one thing that they have progressed to in, in their journey towards sushi chef mastery. So. The craft style professions will have apprenticeships. They uh, would traditionally have had uh, guilds, which are again there uh, to police the boundaries of the profession to decide who is or isn't allowed to practice and who is or isn't ready for uh, mastery. Um, and then when these sort of became um, like uh, waged occupations for employers rather than uh you know independent occupations so in the feudal society you could imagine that like we you know we've had our distinction between the lords the farmers and the um the like religious uh practitioners and the uh, like book learners and so on but what about the people who make the tools you know the blacksmiths the carpenters uh, people who build uh, buildings, those skills were needed, and they were typically um, independent of those uh, three castes, if you like, in society, uh, and uh, travelled, which is why they're called journeymen. Well, I suppose it's really why a journey is called a journey, because journeyman means you paid a day rate. Um, but you would turn up somewhere uh, and you would get paid a day's wage to do a day's work. Um, and then they were organised into like uh, these guilds that controlled uh, through the masters who was allowed to practice within like the um, the geographical reach of the guild, typically like a city and its surrounding areas. As those became um, sort of waged roles for employers you get uh, trade unions which uh, partly like subsume some of the roles of the guild that then weren't being done by the employers, like uh, giving people access to uh, training, to um, the knowledge and experience uh, of the other uh, practitioners in their um, field, but also gave them access to um, uh, representation collectively across their entire um, like sector of practice, um, like advocated for uh, better working conditions against the wishes of the um, employers, uh, and also uh, in the early days of the trade unions and the friendly societies, um, provided 
like old age pensions, widow pensions, and like financial support uh, for members of the uh, profession who currently weren't in work for various reasons. So then we come on to this uh, fact that there are modern occupations that don't fit into this distinction. So like engineers, engineers have struggled to get recognition as a profession due to the fact that it's seen as sort of a bit lesser. You know, you're not a pure scientist. You're not a pure mathematician. You're doing stuff with artifacts. There's a little bit of sort of you know, dirty work, blue collar work, a little bit of, you know, not quite um, purity, not abstract enough about uh, the role of the engineer in being a profession. Indeed, in uh, colloquial English, uh, engineer and sort of tradesperson, technician are more or less interchangeable. Uh, and this does cause problems for some people who, um, you know, hear the phrase software engineer and think it means like you know, uh, the the equivalent of the person who comes to fix your boiler uh, of software. But of course, the person who comes to fix your boiler does have you know distinct sort of scientific and abstract technical knowledge about the operation of the boiler and of you know, thermodynamics and of like how heating systems work which is all within the framework of applying it to that boiler system. But nonetheless, they need to have some understanding. So there is this idea that both engineers and technicians are not pure thought work. They're also not pure physical work. And so they don't really fit into this uh, traditional framework, which relies on a separation between those two um, styles of occupation. Now, also, we've talked about like the uh, sort of interests and commitments of these organisations. So, you, on the um, like physical work side, you've had the uh, craft guilds and the craft unions, and on the um, like mental abstract work side, you've had the professional bodies, the learned societies. Well, often engineers and increasingly members of those other uh, professions are now employed directly they are not agents or consultants uh, they are not like paid a day rate they're not journeymen they are salaried employees which means that they have a contractual commitment to their employer which can come into conflict with their any commitment they may have to these other sort of like professional communities and societies um, and they may well be expected to put the interests of their organization or the instructions of their um, supervisors before the interests of the professional community and to either not think about a um, body of ethics of their profession or to consider that secondarily to the code of practice of their employers. Now the technicians field particularly is very diverse and what happens in a uh, te technician field in a technician occupation tends to depend on the origin story 
of that uh, technician's role. Now, sometimes technician uh, jobs occur because there are bits of like the professional job which are seen as um, you know as sort of undesirable or like you know beneath uh, the profession or or just like a distraction or a um, you know, a time sink, and so that role uh, is hived out of the um, of the overall professional role. Uh, and so, you know, you can uh, see, like, in um, a lot of knowledge work that if we start with, like, the monks in the scriptoria uh, who spend basically all of their time um, copying out manuscripts, uh, creating commentaries on manuscripts and things, so basically writing, we then, you know, end up with, like, the uh, secretary doing the dictation and then the typing pool um, you know, moving from uh, handwriting or shorthand to uh, touch typing on a typewriter. And then, ironically, that role becoming absorbed back into the professional role when it was done on computers and you know, computers being seen as like high-status tools uh, back when they were new. Um, people wanting to use the computer themselves rather than like give it to some mere underling typist. Um, and you know, in the um, in, in the world of healthcare, there are roles like uh, nurse anesthesia or health visitor, which were originally sort of parts of a broad healthcare profession, um, which have then become uh, individual roles in their own right. And so they take some structure and organisation and like you know the ideas of their own identity from these parent occupations and in many cases like you know struggle to be seen as equals to those uh, occupations so like a, a radiographer or an anesthetist is a specialization actually radiographer will come back to um but like anesthetist is a role that comes out of like the surgeon profession but the surgeon doesn't want to do the anesthetic themselves they want someone else to take care of that so is an anaesthetist seen as equal to a surgeon? Um, well, not in many cases. Uh, but you know, do they see their role as like equally important? Yes. Uh, is their role equally important? Yes. Are they organised uh, along the lines that surgeons are? Well, to a certain extent, they are, and that is, reflects that sort of historical um, relationship. Some are existing like blue collar occupations uh, where they've been regraded as technicians because there's been you know, some understanding that their work has become um, more intellectual over time or more symbolic and abstract over time. Particularly if you look at roles which were traditionally manual labor and have now become computerized. Uh, so, like you know, milling metal on a lathe, or like you know, milling any um, material on a lathe, would have been a manual uh, craft role. Then it would have been a um, waged uh, labor uh, occupation, and now it would be mostly uh, computerized with like you know CNC machines and the type. 
Uh, and so there is a technician aspect, a sort of understanding uh, and reacting to what the computer is saying and operating the computer uh, aspects to those roles, which mean that they are now a sort of technician role, but they come from a place where they were previously physical. And so they would likely have organization more akin to um, physical labor, like more likely to be uh, unionized, for example. But then some others, technician roles, developed entirely as like new things just because new technology enabled new work uh, to be done. So um, these are least likely to have any form of organization because anyone who is enthusiastic about the new technology and like develops the skills through sort of self-learning is able to enter that profession and they tend to kind of keep it inclusive and um and like you know, sort of non uh non-prescriptive like you know they don't have guilds they don't have um like professional uh, bodies so radiographer these days is indeed a um like a licensed uh, profession in many countries you need to like you know gain the body of knowledge on operating the machines because they have significant like you know health downsides if you do it wrong um in the times like after the invention of the x x-ray is you know so-called Röntgen machine you would have had like you know just rich people who could afford some radium and some photographic paper taking x-rays of their friends at parties to give them like a memento of that party a, a photograph of their own skeleton um you know it w it would have been done by anyone who had the resources and the interest and now we start to see uh, i think something of the uh, aspects of the um, computer programmer uh, and potentially the software engineer as well uh, in not only that approach to um, technology, that diff definitely happened. Like, software has aspects of this de novo technician role. Particularly, like, there's a broad age range of people who first encountered computers when they first became, like, personal-sized devices with microcomputers and the um, microcontroller kits that came before them. In the seventies and the eighties, so you know, like people like myself who were um, children then, but were fascinated by this like computer that their parents had uh, on their desk and just wanted to like understand it and control it, um, all the way through to you know the sort of Bill Gates, uh, Steve Wozniak's, um, Gary Kildall's, like you know the homebrew computer club uh, people who were. Uh, adults who sort of defined how those computers worked and what they could do by being the first people to get their hands on the components that made them and building those computers out of them. That you know that is a massive range because uh, people um, like those homebrew computer club uh, people are you know pretty much sort of in or approaching their 70s now and people 
at the opposite end of that story, which probably goes into about the 90s, uh, so are at the lower end in or approaching their 30s. So we've got like effectively um, a 50-year, two to three generation, broad generation of people who went, wow, that thing that you're using, that um, computer, is incredibly exciting and i just want to like spend all of my time doing that and getting paid for doing that um and so this is one of these you know non-organized inclusive what is the way that i get into this how do i get other people into this this is really exciting um roles which i have previously said is more like a technician than an engineer and more like a technician than either a manual labourer or a professional. But then software also has some aspects of the like the traditional profession, of the um, pure thought work role, particularly in areas where the computation is a necessary way uh, or a necessary tool for performing the thought work itself. So computational science computational mathematics relies heavily on computation and also relies on a you know in-depth understanding of the maths of the science domain and this is relevant to like my research on the uh, role of the research software engineer because now we've got like two entirely conflicting models we've got this uh, sort of heavily um inclusive anything goes this is exciting. I want to be a part of it. I want everyone else to see how exciting it is. Like technician view of software, and we've got this. I am, uh, you know, on this uh, career trajectory, which is you know very much a uh, like closed professional cathedral uh, trajectory of um, researcher, senior researcher. Uh, like lecturer or associate professor professor uh role which requires me to have like in-depth knowledge of uh the problems that i'm trying to solve to demonstrate that knowledge to my professional organization through peer-reviewed publications um and that is not open to like anyone to join in you have to go through this uh, career treadmill you have to do the phd you have to publish the the work it has to be peer-reviewed which effectively makes it a masterpiece of sorts how do these two like pretty much opposing views of what it means to produce software because the computational researcher is producing software and the like excited computer technician is producing software how do these get resolved and how do how does the perception of the computer programmer resolve itself like in this academic setting are they seen by themselves and by others as people who are like you know research experts who are like in this hierarchy who you know are maybe on the track to becoming a professor and to being at the top of the tree or are they seen as you know technicians along with like uh sort of glass blowers microscope operators 
um, you know, are, are they seen as a supporting or service role by themselves and by other people? But we also see that software is a little like engineering, um, particularly because there is this you know, use of the phrase software engineer, which was originally a, um, a sort of challenge to software to, uh, or to the software profession to use its uh, scientific underpinnings in a like, reliable and um, well professional uh, fashion. And to you know, and to base the software that was being built and the ways in which the software were being built on sound scientific principles, uh, and that view of software, that sort of very traditional software engineering view of software, does make heavy use of science. You ask questions like, okay, I'm building an interface uh, or designing an interface to some software that will solve this problem but what do i know about the computer science of the problem what is exposing this interface going to do to the performance of the solution or the um you know the resources required on the computer in order to like execute the solution but you are still applying that scientific knowledge to real world artifacts albeit those real world artifacts are now fairly abstract themselves because they are software, they are not like you know, physical entities. And something that I find particularly interesting in this like, uh, diversity of views of like software as an occupation is what it means for uh, the commitment that software engineers have to their various organizations. Do they do? Whatever is expected of their um, you know, of their role as an employee, because that is what their employer wants. Are they committed to their employer? Well, we see other forms of commitment uh, in the world. We see software craftsmanship, for example. Um, the book by Pete McBreen uh, argues for a guild-style model of software, where um, apprentices are learning from um, journeymen who are like engaged by masters, and there's that sort of progression through um, this guild-style professional organisation. We would expect that the software craftsmanship model would lead to software guilds, uh, where people have a commitment to the expectations of the guild, the practices and the principles that the guild espouses over their employers and would say i am not going to work in the way that you want me to work because that is not how software gets done it gets done in this way that i've learned through my guild but i don't know of many software guilds i actually only know of one the atlantic systems guild and even like all of the people who are signatories to the craftsmanship manifesto uh the ones that i like no personally are salaried uh like employees and are not guild members and are not uh journeymen um uh, you do get contractor developers of course who, uh, but they tend in my experience not to have masters they tend to just be like you know independent operators 
So, and why is that important? Well, because like salaried employees have a commitment to their employer, and the knowledge of the employing organization is typically organized not in the tacit uh, knowledge sense of the um of the guild and like you know, copying the master and not in the explicit uh like written body of knowledge sense of the profession with its degrees and its you know expectations for um like passing certain exams or other barriers uh but in terms of the knowledge of an employer uh, of a like you know, of a company organization is typically encapsulated in a very different way. It is encapsulated in the policies, bureaucracies, and hierarchies of that employer. And so we would get very different ways of working and very different ways of resolving questions about ways of working. For someone who is you know, following the, the policy of we do scrum because we do scrum, and uh, of someone who is uh learning how a master does it and of someone who is uh learning from their professional uh, body and their continuing professional development that is supplied through that organization which is the one that we haven't covered yet in terms of software in a professional model of software there would typically be a professional body something like the acm or the bcs or the ieee software to which members have a commitment to the point where if the needs of the professional society and the needs of their employer come into dispute, for example, the employer wants them to do something which is seen as unethical by the professional body or is not seen as good uh, professional practice by the professional body, then the professional would be expected and perhaps even mandated to side with the professional organization over the employing organization. I.e., if they said, uh, my employer is asking me to build this defeat device into the emissions um, testing capabilities of this engine, I am going to do that because like, they are paying me the money and the ACM are not then the person would no longer be allowed to call themselves a software engineer. The other one we haven't looked at is that in a technical role, um, which we've also seen parallels with, with um, the software roles, particularly those that arose from existing crafts, there would be a trade union and there would be a, um, you know, a commitment to uh, that sort of collective support collective act, uh, action um, advocating for the interests of the people performing the craft where they come into conflict with the expectations of the employers and particularly around uh, working conditions but then we also have in the world of software we have other groups to which people can express their commitment uh, which can come into conflict with the um, commitments expressed by the groups we've seen so far. For example, membership of the Free Software Foundation. You know, people may well be advocating for free software because they believe it is morally right and because uh, you know, they are using resources and education that they've learned from the Free Software Foundation 
where that comes into conflict with the expectations of the ACM or the expectations of their employer or the expectations of the technical workers union. They may have a commitment to a particular technology or vendor that, you know, while not like explicitly um, organized as such, maybe there's some ad hoc user group or uh, ad hoc like you know, local um, chapter, something like Cocoa Heads in the uh, like you know in the um, Swift and Objective C world, or uh, like Brum JS local JavaScript developer group, local .NET user group, whatever, and they feel a commitment to that and a membership of that that is like more important than say uh, em- employer commitments. So the em- employer says we've got this new. Um, tool that we want to build and the uh, and the developer advocates for doing it in c sharp not because c sharp is the thing that will most efficiently implement the employer's goals but because they are a member of the local .NET user group and they want to be able to give a talk about how they use c sharp to solve this problem so what i'm interested in and I'd really like to hear, uh, hear like you know, as many views, uh, certainly your views on uh, this is how different contributors to the software world, and I've tried to avoid using the phrase software engineers explicitly in this because I think that does presuppose a certain approach to some extent. But you know, if you are a software engineer, you consider yourself a software engineer, or you consider that you would like to be. A software engineer, how do you navigate that landscape? What are the different organizations uh, that you have a commitment to, and how deep is that commitment? How strong is that commitment? Where do the principles that you follow in your work come from, and how do you resolve differences and conflicts between them? What does it look like for different contributors to the work you do? Uh, do any of the like conflicts you've had at work or on um, you know, hobby projects or whatever, come from these like conflicting senses of organisation and community uh, that different people have about their work. Really interested to hear what you have to say on this topic, and I'd love to do a follow-up episode uh, where we compare these views. So please do get in touch. You can email grahamlee at acm.org. You can find me on Twitter. I was Lee G. Thanks again, and I will talk to you again soon.